Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Rainey Rosemond, and I'm a dairy educator based in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Joining us today is Dr. Chad Deckow from Penn State University. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Deckow. Thanks for having me, Rainey. Before we get started, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at Penn State. Yeah, so I am uh, an associate professor of dairy cattle genetics at Penn State, and I've been here in that at uh, in faculty role since 2003. And prior to that, I did get my master's degree at Penn State and a PhD from University of Tennessee. But I also grew up on a dairy farm in New York State, not too far from uh, the border. So about two and a half hours from Penn State is where I grew up on a Holstein and Brown Swiss farm. And so most of my research is focused really on, we want to increase production efficiency from dairy cows, of course, but we want to do that at the same time, we don't want to cause any sort of infertility or poor health. So it's my research program is broadly focused on increasing production efficiency while maintaining high levels of cow health and reproductive performance. And so uh, we're going to talk about a diet digestibility trial that relates to that some today. And then I also have some work in just using herd health records to evaluate genetic potential for health conditions. Uh, we're looking at, oh, we've got uh, some genetic recessives that we're trying to track down and develop genetic tests for and so forth. So that's my research program. And then I also do a fair amount of teaching. Some of it is just broad animal genetics. Some of it is more specifically dairy cattle management. And I also work with some 4-H judging team programs and so forth. Thanks for letting us get to know you a little bit and what you do. If you're ready to get started, today we're going to be talking about your recent research, and you touched on this a little bit, on the linkage between feed digestibility and animal genetics. You ready? Yep. So your research involves looking at fecal samples to determine the genetic merit for milk production. Can you talk a little bit about the linkage between the two and the challenges associated with measuring feed intake directly? Yeah, so there's been a lot of interest in selecting for better feed efficiency or better feed utilization. And so we've done a really good job selecting for milk production because we have records for millions of cows that are on DHI tests and so forth. So we've done that really well. But sometimes you can have two cows that produce the same amount of milk and one takes a little less feed to do it than another cow. And we want, and since feed is the largest cost on dairy farms, we're always aiming to increase that efficiency a little bit and produce the same amount of milk with a little less feed is the ultimate goal. And so one of the challenges that comes with that is that we need lots of good phenotypic records. And so it's easy to get phenotypic records for individual cows for something like milk production. It's pretty difficult to get a record on how much feed a cow ate on a daily basis. And so, but that's what we really need to do selection for feed efficiency well. And so we have started to develop some genetic evaluations and genomic evaluations for various traits related to feed efficiency, but the data is expensive to collect. We don't have a lot of it. And so our genetic evaluations end up with relatively low accuracy. So one of the things that we've said is, okay, 
it's it's hard to determine how much a cow ate because each cow has to have her own individual feed stall and we have to weigh it twice a day and so forth. But it's pretty easy to just uh, grab a fecal sample from a cow and determine the nutrient composition of that uh, fecal sample. So if we are able to look at that and see, okay, we compare it to the cow's diet and we can get a good sense of how completely did that cow digest the feed that she was offered. Now, there are other components to feed efficiency besides just how efficiently she, she digested her feed, but that is one source of variation among cows that uh, we believe that you can tell pretty readily with a fecal sample. So that's a little bit about what we have been doing in that particular project. So you answered my second question already, but is there anything that you would like to add to why fecal samples are an emerging method in genetic selection? Yeah, so I think the, the main thing is that we've got uh, invested a lot of money in selecting for feed efficiency nationwide, not here at Penn State specifically, just but lots of different groups around the country have invested a lot of time and effort into doing that. And we want to take full advantage of the data that's been generated. And so anything that we can do to bolster and add records and add details about why one cow eats more or less than expected, we want to just uh, expand the population of animals that we have data from. And the larger that population becomes, the more accurately we can select for feed efficiency and efficient feed utilization. So can you describe some of the genetic selection methods you use, namely PTA and PPA, and how these can be used by producers? Yes. So most producers would be fairly familiar with PTAs, which are predicted transmitting abilities for a lot of different traits. So for example, we have a PTA for milk yield, and if a bull's value is plus 1,000, then that means that we expect his daughters to produce a thousand pounds more milk over the course of a lactation than daughters of a typical or average type of bull. So producers are fairly familiar with those PTAs in general. The PTAs for specifically for feed utilization are somewhat more recent. We've developed a trait called feed saved, which really puts two different things together that both relate to feed efficiency. And and part of that component is the body size of the cow. So you can imagine if you've got two cows that give the exact same amount of milk, but one weighs 500 pounds more than the other cow, that cow that weighs more, she needs to, to eat to produce milk, but she also needs to eat to support her body mass. So we put a, a weight on body mass into our selection program when we're talking about feed efficiency because you know we don't need huge cows uh, there's nothing wrong with a big cow if she produces a lot of milk but we don't want huge cows that produce an average amount of milk if that makes sense so that's part of our our genetic selection effort for feed efficiency and then the second part is we look at how much cows ate and then we compare that to how much did we expect her to eat based on her body size and her milk production level. And so if she eats less than we expected, then she's an efficient cow. And if she eats more than expected, then she would be an inefficient cow. 
And so that's called residual feed intake, and that's part of the feed saved trait that we're beginning to genetically select for. And so those PTAs are already available, and hopefully with time, especially that residual feed intake component has a pretty low accuracy. So we're hoping that that will improve over time as we support that with information such as diet digestibility from a larger population of cows. Producers would be a little less uh, familiar with the term PPA, which stands for predicted producing ability. And that's a term that geneticists use to, it incorporates predicted transmitting ability plus farm environment in there all in, in one term. So it's a, a measure that looks at how repeatable milk production is over multiple lactations, for instance. And in this case, we're interested in how repeatable is feed digestibility over multiple lactations. So it's a trait that we use in some genetic research, but we don't necessarily report PPAs like we report PTAs. So a lot of Pennsylvania producers experience suppressed milk fat. Did you find any correlations between that total track fiber digestibility and milk fat? Yeah, so great question. So when we're looking at feed digestibility, there's a couple different components that we have been considering. So one, we're just looking at, we don't really care whether it's protein, whether it's fiber, whether it's carbohydrates, whether it's starch, just all of that together, how efficiently did the cow digest her feed? And then the second component is looking more specifically at the fiber component in the neutral detergent fiber component specifically. And what we found is that things like starch, all cows pretty efficiently digest starches. And there's not a lot of genetic variation from one cow to the next. There can be variation due to just different stages of lactation or environmental effects and so forth. But the amount of variation that's due to genetics is pretty small. On the other hand, for fiber digestion, there does appear to be, and we're, we're still in the fairly early stages of our research, but for fiber digestion, there does seem to be an appreciable difference amongst cows in how efficiently they digest fiber. And fiber, that is a primary driver of milk fat synthesis. So cows that digest their fiber well are much less likely to have milk fat depression than a cow that is not digesting their fiber well. So there actually is a, a strong link that we, I don't know that we were surprised by it, but it wasn't necessarily something that we had planned on between component percentages, in particular fat percent, and how efficiently cows are digesting their fiber. So on the other hand, you did find a negative correlation between digestibility and milk and milk protein yield. Can you elaborate on why this might be? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes this involves a little bit of speculation, uh, but I, I think the, the reality is that cows that are making a lot of milk, they have to eat a lot to, to support the volume of milk that they are eating. And so when they're eating a lot, that feed passes through their system a little bit more quickly. And so because it's passing through more quickly, it may not be digested as completely as a cow that's eating a little less and it's not passing through her as rapidly. So for instance, when we compare heifers, which aren't making milk, so they don't have quite the same demand for large volumes of feed, they tend to digest their fiber more completely than a lactating cow. Dry cows tend to 
digests their fiber a little bit more completely than a lactating cow. So, and in terms of protein yield, the relationship between fiber digestion and the concentration of protein is pretty neutral. But as you can imagine, if a cow gives more milk, uh, more pounds of milk, then she's going to produce more pounds of protein. So milk yield and protein yield are strongly correlated. So I think the protein yield is just coming along because cows that are eating more maybe aren't digesting their feed quite as well. The one thing that I will say, though, is that the effect, the association with fat is quite a bit stronger than the associated association with milk yield and with protein yield. So overall, digesting feed more completely and efficiently is a favorable thing. So for producers who might be looking to evaluate the digestive efficiency of their herd, how would you recommend they implement some of these practices? So we're still, you know, kind of in the early stages of this research, and our hope is that in time they would actually have a genetic selection tool, a PTA for fiber digestion. That would be the kind of the long-term goal, if you will, and then they could select for directly for improved digestive efficiency. I think one of the main takeaways at this point has been that uh, if you're uh, fat percentage in your herd is low and you have milk fat depression, then there's some indications there that your digestive efficiency is probably not what it should be. And you need to work with your nutritionist to figure out how can you improve that a little bit. There are also opportunities that nutritionists are starting to begin to take samples to, they don't necessarily take a sample from single cows, but they'll take a sample from a pen of cows to see uh, what does the digestion profile look like based on that uh, pen sample to kind of give you an overall idea. So if we, we start to incorporate that type of uh, testing in our nutrition management programs, that will be helpful as well. So in your research, you mentioned sorting and feeding behavior as a limitation when interpreting feed utilization data. Can you elaborate on what this means for Pennsylvania producers specifically using baleage which, as you likely know, has a very historically long chop length. Yeah, so let me back up again to when I was talking about the PTAs and the tools that we have available. One of those was, does this cow eat more than we expected or does she eat less than we expected based on how much milk she's giving and her body weight? So some of that difference might be due to a cow's feed sorting behavior. So for example, if we have uh, two cows that both ate the same amount of feed, let's just say they both ate 50 pounds of feed today, but one cow kind of sorted through and she ate 30 pounds of concentrate and 20 pounds of forage, and the other cow did the reverse, she ate 20 uh, pounds of concentrate and 30 pounds of forage, that's going to affect their performance. And that cow that ate more concentrates probably going to have higher milk yield. And if we're not careful, that could come out as an interpretation that the cow that ate more concentrate was more feed efficient when that was really not the case. It's just that she sorted for the feed ingredients that gave her a little bit of a, a boost. So from a practical research standpoint in developing PTAs, that's why we're interested in feed sorting behaviors, because we don't want to be selecting for cows that we think are more feed efficient that really aren't more feed efficient. They're just better at sorting for the more nutrient dense components of the diet. 
So when we're talking about using baleage and so forth and, and uh, those things that have long chop length, uh, sometimes the, the part that the cows leave behind might be some of those longer fibers and it may not get incorporated properly into the diet. I don't want to go, I'm a geneticist with just enough nutrition background to do a little bit of damage. And then I have to rely on my colleagues to uh, straighten me out. So I don't want to get into too much into uh, feeding recommendations and so forth. But but what I would say is that there is a risk with longer chop length of more sorting. And because of that, you end up with uh, cows that maybe are eating a little less fiber than you anticipate. And that can lead to sometimes the milk fat depression that we see and so forth. But from this genetic selection standpoint, what we want is to make sure that we're selecting cows that actually digest their feed more efficiently and not just cows that sort for the more nutrient-dense part of the diets. So do you have any final takeaway messages that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think the main thing is that uh, we should all really be kind of excited about what we've done in terms of how efficiently we produce uh, milk from forage and uh, concentrates and from our dairy cows already. We've, we've really done a tremendous job in selecting for cows that are more efficient. And you just look over the course of the last 50 years and you compare the amount of milk that our cows are producing compared to then. We basically have doubled milk production. In the last few years, we've really increased the fat concentration, even though we have really high milk yield. We, we also, we have high milk yield with high fat percentage. And for a long time, we used to, we used to kind of think if you're, you kind of had to make a choice between the two and that's not entirely true now. So we have done a tremendous job in increasing how sustainably we produce dairy products and we'll continue to do so. And what we're looking at now when we talk about feed efficiency is we're, we're kind of looking at the margins a little bit. How can we improve feed efficiency marginally? We've already made a huge jump. We're Selection for feed efficiency. I think the, the one thing that I worry about a little bit is sometimes people see, well, this bull sires more feed efficient daughters. I'm going to have a lower feed bill if I use this particular bull. And, and the reality is that genetic selection takes a little bit of time. And the amount of change that we expect to make is, it's not marginal, but it's it's also not overwhelming either. So I think producers need to make sure they are selecting bulls that are good for health, that are good for fertility, that are good for yield, that have the type of confirmation that they're interested in. And then on top of that, have good feed efficiency as well. I think if if people go and they do single trait selection for feed efficiency, they're going to be disappointed in the results because they may have cows that eat a little less than we might predict, but that don't perform as well for some other traits as, as we would hope. So we need a, a well-balanced uh, selection goal and feed efficiency is one part of that larger selection goal. So thank you for meeting with us, Dr. Deckow. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any further questions regarding this topic, you can email me at rfr49 at psu.edu. Join us next week to hear about research conducted by Dr. Kevin Harventine. And thank you again for listening.